Recently, my wife and I met up with another couple, and the conversation quickly turned to more tender topics. And the person, uh, the woman, brought up the fact that recently they had stopped working full-time and were devoting themselves to taking care of their children. And it was a, a really a tender conversation in which uh, this person not so much confessed, but admitted that when they were working, they felt like they just weren't able to be enough of a mom and enough of a wife. And then when they weren't working, they felt like they were, they were kind of letting their mentors or their peers down that they kind of weren't enough of a productive citizen. They weren't using their education the way they would have. And this, this sort of this constant feeling of no matter what they did, not feeling like they were quite, quite enough. It's a feeling I think we all have felt at various points in our lives. This theme of enough, of scarcity and abundance, is going to play itself out over the next couple weeks in the stories of Joseph. And I won't give away the ending, I won't give away the ending, but at the very end of the story, it's actually going to come down to whether Joseph will have enough forgiveness and mercy for his brothers. There's also going to be a big question about whether there's enough grain in Egypt, whether the family of Joseph and Jacob will have enough to eat. There's a question of whether Joseph is going to be wise enough to handle the awesome task that is given him to administrate. And even in this week's initial portion here of the Joseph story, we, we hear about scarcity and abundance. For the father, Jacob, has given Joseph a coat. Now, none of us know exactly what the coat looks like, what colors were in the coat, how long the sleeves were. But the big thing I want us to focus on today is that there was only one coat. And you've got to wonder why there was only one coat. Was there a scarcity of fabric or dye? Because like parenting 101 is you can't give one child a special present and not give the other children a special present, right? It doesn't take a genius to figure that one out. So what was Jacob doing here? Somehow there wasn't enough coat, there wasn't enough forethought there. And Joseph, likewise, Joseph has this grand dream and is sort of filled with his hoped-for success and confidence as he struts around in his coat. And, you know, just again, sort of uh, a basic human relations 101. If you have a dream about your brothers worshiping you, you probably don't want to share that with them, right? This is kind of, again, basic human relations. Joseph here is displaying that he, he doesn't have enough wisdom or maturity yet to handle the success that's going to come his way. The brothers, likewise, when they see that there is only one code given, that there's these dreams and Joseph is going on, they begin to have a great amount of jealousy and discontent. They can't even live peaceably with one another anymore. And what is, is driving them, I think, at their core is this sense, this question as they think about their father and their father's love. Am I not good enough for my father? 
What more must I do? Am I enough? Finally, have I done enough? O dad, O Jacob, to earn your love and respect. So we see again and again these questions, both practical and more emotional, more existential. They're going to be with us throughout the whole series of Joseph of am I enough? Do we have enough? And these are questions that, again, are familiar to us. I don't think it's just parents or even moms who have kids that wonder sort of about the scarcity of time and a work-life balance. I, I know many people sort of a half a generation older than I am that are really starting at, to sort of figure out how much time they have to give to caring for their, their parents, how they balance all of this. I know too many people in our congregation, as they, they age, they were able to give so much of their time to various activities, and now their body doesn't want to go anymore. Their body doesn't feel like it's enough, and it's humbling for them to have to pull back. Again, much of life is starting to calibrate around a, a reduction in what we can do, a feeling that we're not enough. But this likewise can happen when we're younger. Last night was the homecoming dance here in Warwick, and I know the next couple weeks there'll be homecoming dance in other districts. And it recalls to my mind my anxiety around those dances when I was that age, around finding a date, right? Would, would somebody say yes to me? Would somebody ask me, am I worthy enough? Am I cool enough, smart enough, popular enough, good-looking enough, funny enough to get a date, and so forth And this haunting question, am I enough? Again, throughout our life, we find ourselves asking that question again and again. And the brief snippet we heard there from the Gospel of Luke, again, I'm not going to focus on it, but it's this sort of tortured parable about how real life kind of works. And in the workplace, we often face a lot of scarcity. And there's such pressure then on us to, to cut corners, if not even cut moral corners, because we often feel like there's not enough or we're not enough for the, the task. So our whole life, professionally and personally, there's always this kind of this haunting voice that is saying, are you enough? I don't think so. A few years back, I was at a leadership uh, seminar, and there was some guru. I don't know how this guy got defined as a guru, but he was a guru. So, so we're all listening to this poobah, this guru, and he's talking to us about teams, and what he said about teams was helpful, and I'm you know, taking notes and learning. But then at one point, he asked us to get out a piece of paper. He says, okay, on this piece of paper, I want you to write on a scale of 1 to 10 how good of a human you are. Well, 10, right? No. But, I mean, all of us are kind of like, who, I don't, I don't, who, who's going to look at this? You know? Is this between me and God? Like, what's going on here? So we all write our number, and, and then he says, okay, now I want you to close your eyes. And he leads us through some guided meditation. And in the end he says, but I want you to know you're all a 10. You're all a 10 out of 10. And part of me kind of gets what he's going for in the sense of, you know, in life, sometimes we just need somebody to come along and say, you can do it, right? You know, uh, a kid on a sports team who's, who's on the mound. They just need the coach to come out and say, just, you can do it, right? Or, or somebody, uh, your boss to come to you and say, look, I wouldn't have given you this, this task if I didn't think you were up to it. You know, you can do it, right? So sometimes we just need a little bit of, hey, you know, you've got it. You can do it. 
But I think all of us know fundamentally that we're not a 10 out of 10. You know, I kind of wanted to stand up and be like, that, that's just baloney. And we all know it. You know, I think when we, when we look at this story, there's so many times in our life where we're like Joseph, where we have some modicum of success and we, we, it trips us up. We prove we're not ready for it yet. Other times we're, we're like their brothers, where our, our nagging insecurities mean that we're not able to love and act responsibly towards others, and they, they draw us into conflict. And that our family often becomes something like this family here, where there's weird fault lines, and what should be a community of love is a real community of division and brokenness. The guru, though, was able to tell us that we were at a 10 out of 10 because it's what we're all so desperate to hear. We all want this word of affirmation over and against the voice of life. And so then this day, should I all tell you? Should I all be the voice of affirmation for you? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to give you something better, though. Okay, I'm going to give you something better. This fall, we're thinking about who we are as a congregation and where God is calling us in this next chapter. And to start that, I want us to think about our mission statement, the statement that says who we are and who we think God has called us to be. And it begins with the phrase, rooted in God's grace. When we think about who we are and where God is calling us, we want to begin with, with God's love of us and God's work in this world, rooted in God's grace. And I don't think it's actually gracious, and I don't think it's the gospel to tell you that you're enough. I think we need to modify that, and I think we need to adjust that a little bit. One of the most famous basketball players, uh, Steph Curry, on his shoe has a Bible verse that's there. And the Bible verse is not, I can do all things. The Bible verse is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It turns out that in the story of Jacob and Joseph, they're, they're not enough. And their family is dysfunctional and broken. Yet it's that family that God chooses to love. You see... In regards to the world, we're not enough, but in God's eyes, we're enough for God. We're enough for God, so much so that God has chosen in Jesus Christ that you, you are enough, enough of a reason that Jesus Christ has chosen to die for you. You're precious enough, worth enough in Jesus' sight that he's willing to give up everything and give you his abundance. And where there is sin in your life to give you forgiveness, where there is hurt to give you healing, where there is scarcity to give you abundance, and where there is death to give you resurrection. Indeed, Jesus has decided that you are enough, that he wants you to be with him forever. But I want to go a little bit further, and I want to say that I think we could even say that, that it's not just that you're enough for God, but with God you're enough. With God, you're enough. Because you see, this family here of Jacob and Joseph, on their own, again, if they were just left to their own devices, it would be self-destruction. But, but God chooses to, to intervene in their life. God chooses to keep the story going where the hardness of their heart would have stopped the story. I can tell you, not a word of affirmation, but I can give you a word of promise. A word that's not based on my opinion, but that is based on the work of Jesus Christ and his cross and his empty tomb for you, that in God's sight you are precious and you are enough that he has decided to die and to rise for you. 
I can give you the promise that you are enough for God to work through. You see, the story of Jacob and Joseph and his brothers, it's going to keep going. And there's going to be service to others. There's going to be a revitalization of a community. There's going to be reconciliation. There's going to finally even be praise of God. And that's because, again, where the hardness of our heart stops, God's heart keeps going and God keeps working with us. There's an empty tomb. The hardness of the human heart doesn't end the story. So yeah, we come. We're desperate for a word of affirmation in a world that tells us that we're not enough. And to that, we actually cannot stand alone and say, I am enough. But we can. We can stand on the cross. And we can stand before the empty tomb. And then we can say, in Christ, I am enough. Thanks be to God. Amen.